Hey, are you looking to evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness spirituality and personal growth in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary spiritual practices to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you live your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Walk on the Wise Side. You're here with your host, Prash K, and the handsome man to my left, is none other than Mr. Go All In himself, Robert Brass. Robert Brass, and that's without an H, folks, unless you want to get a clip around the ear. Robert Brass is a man who I must share a little bit about his background. This is a man who's been in the military, not one military, multiple, and he's had the pleasure, displeasure, pain, grit, and experience that can only come in a career or a lifetime spent in the military as he has done in the years gone past. I'm not going to steal his thunder. I'll let him talk about his military background. But not only is this man a military practitioner, a member of the Australian Defense Force, the man is a goddamn pilot. He flies planes. The guy has to have a brain and a heart and his wits about him. He flies planes. The guy's a pilot. He's F airplane mad oh did i mention that he runs his own digital marketing agency and seo agency and two other businesses i have no idea how he manages to have a beautiful wife and kids please put your hands together for the australian tornado the one and only robert russ well thanks prash thank you so much for that uh Kind introduction, mate. I'm glad you're recording this. Next time somebody asks me about me and they want a bio, I'm just going to point them at your Facebook Live. Right so here. I really, I appreciate the kind words, mate, and the kind sentiments. It's really great to be here and to be able to share this with you. So, Rob, I want you to just share a little bit about yourself, man. You dive straight in, brother. Don't even wait. I mean, you, I'm losing you. I'm not hearing you here. Nah. Well, I, I can back. talk about myself for hours if you want me to that. That's, that's not an issue. So let's, let's, as you alluded to in the introduction there, I was in the military for a long time. I was in the Australian Royal Australian Navy first, and then I was in the Australian Army second shortly after that. And I was lucky as a young guy to have been able to experience all of those things. So for any people out there listening and watching that are not sure what they want to do with their life or with a career or with a job, when it's early on from them and they've got no commitments, I would highly, highly recommend the military. And really, look, it doesn't matter if you're in the, in the Royal Navy, in the British Navy, or you're in the Australian Navy, it's the same thing. You'll get to experience the same sorts of things with your friends. You get to travel the world, get a pocket full of money, and you get some incredible skills. And you make friends that last you an absolute lifetime. But gosh, it can be a very, very challenging environment for a young person and I think I, I joined when I was 17 and I grew up by the time I was 17 and a half. And the 17 years prior really didn't set me up for any sort of success whatsoever in the military because they have a great way of breaking you down, making everybody the same and then building you back up again as well. So I was you know, fortunate or maybe a little bit crazy to experience that type of thing twice in my career, once in the Navy, then again in the Army. And then I guess the third time when I got out, because that was a pretty rude shock as well after nearly nine years of, of being there. Um, it's very, very hard um, to make a transition onto the other side. And I think maybe in some ways that's a little bit by design where they strip you away. You know, you know, you want to leave. It's just a job. You just want to resign and you fill in the paperwork and you're out of there sort of thing. But, you know, the day, the day comes and it's sort of a big event because you can't just quit your job inside of, one day or one week, it takes you four or five months to get out. It's just an administrative thing that happens in all large government organizations. And by the time you get out, you know, you sort of think you're ready, but you get out, everything's stripped away. That lifestyle, those uniforms, those people, that's all gone. And really that 
that's a pretty big time in anybody's life making a transition. And look, you don't have to have got out of the military to have experienced something like that. It's just changing jobs can be a rude shock for you like that. Changing relationships can be a shock for you like that. And any changes that you have that create a bit of an upset in your life can be stressful. And, you know, you've got to look inside yourself. You've got to dig deep and you've got to find out what's motivating you. You've got to find out what your whys are and you've got to drive really, really hard and set some goals and, and shoot for those goals. Yeah, I want to touch on that because you've, I think, um, sorry, can you, hope, Rob, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. I was Go just going to say, not many people experience that kind of career. And I don't know, folks, if any of you have been in the military, if you're listening to this, watching this click in, but to be able to be in a position where you are entrenched, if you can call it that, in a career um, that where people's lives are in your hands, directly or indirectly, you play a part in the lives and the protection of lives of the people who you are entrusted upon and or the people who are trusted entrusted to you and to have that then pulled away at a certain point and say right you're out on your own buddy you're gonna have to find your own way get a normal job become a citizen of the planet uh become a corporate guy or gal or whatever you're supposed to do surely that in itself is is a hugely challenging situation to be in not 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 least it's one thing when you're by yourself but then to have mouths to feed can you talk talk on that a little bit about those challenges that you faced i think anything that you do in life is relative um if you 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 don't want to swap problems with somebody for a day and sometimes you think you look at other people and they have an incredible job they seem to have an incredible life but if you really swapped with them for a day you probably wouldn't want to stick around there for very long and i think the military itself has a way of getting you to experience things that you otherwise wouldn't experience because you're quite correct um you're your life is in other people's hands and, and very, very often you've got the lives of other people in your hands. And that's, that shines a spotlight on things and it really has a way of amplifying stuff. So the feelings that you would normally get on the way to work of, oh my God, I've got to go and do another day and you're in the grind and it's a slog and it's really, really hard. That's amplified by the military by a magnitude of about 50 because you're on the way to work going, oh, my God, I've got to deal with these 50 people. I've got to run these lessons. We've got to do this dangerous stuff. We're going out shooting. We're going out parachuting. Whatever we're doing, it can be the, – the, relative, the relativity factor of it is kind of dulls it down at the time while you're doing it. But when you look back on it, yeah, for sure, it's, it's definitely, definitely has a way of um, amplifying the feelings and the emotions – that you feel in there. And I think most people experience the same things as what people experience in the military. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, running around with a gun and kicking indoors and doing that type of thing is not the same as sitting behind a desk yeah. managing projects or, you know, doing custom service or, or looking after people. But really, in, at the end of the day, it's, it's relative. It's just a job. And that's the job that you're paid to do. That's the job that you go and do. And I think as a younger person, you accept the risk a little bit more or you think you're invincible or you're a little bit naive and you don't really know what can happen on the other side of it. And I think it's not one of those particular things. It's a combination of those things that, that, and that's the reason why soldiers particularly are usually young people. You don't see a lot of soldiers that are in their 40s because they've kind of grown out of being told what to do. They've, they've grown up from what it is that they've been doing and running around with a gun and kicking indoors in your 40s is really hard work. So that's not, <laughs> that's not something that older people really necessarily want to do. And 40 is not old. 40 is young. It's yeah. very, very young. It and, absolutely uh, is. Yeah. I'm, here to, I'm here to tell you it's young. And I think you can tell me. Me too too. now. I know now too. (laughs) So listen, what what was your first experience when you had to go all in? In which area of your life did you first have to go all in? What was that like and how did you do it? Give us a summary of that. You know, I could probably probably pick 20 or 30 different moments throughout my military career. But the one that sticks out the most is actually when I left the military. And it's for the reasons that I kind of alluded to before. And it's, it's more in around having everything stripped away from you 
and you kind of lose all of the friendship and the camaraderie that you that you've had for years and years. And again, at the time, you probably don't really realize or notice that you have that. But once that's stripped away from you, you realize very quickly that you relied on that a lot. You relied on your friends a lot. And then suddenly, you know, after being institutionalized, if you like, for that mm-hmm. amount of time, suddenly I had to be reliant on myself. And I didn't go to a job. I got out and, and me and two of my mates, we started an electrical contracting company and so that you know, there was no income there. I had two small children, a wife that that came back to Sydney with me because we didn't live in Sydney, and she had to get a job. And I was working on that business. I was gone, you know, 17, 18 hours a day, and just learning to become self reliant was very, very hard. And I got out. I got out prior to all the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and whatnot. And but I had been overseas, and I had been overseas on operations a couple of times and seen conflict and whatnot. But the transition that you make from being from being institutionalized to becoming, you know, to finding yourself, they say it takes one or two years, two to three years for every five years that you're in. So I was in for almost 10 years and it did take me about two or three, almost four years, I would say, to transition from the military. And that's just a mindset. You know, it, it, I didn't have to turn up five minutes before every time. I didn't have to iron my clothes all the time. I didn't have to polish my shoes anymore. They're just all those little idiosyncrasies that you right. don't realize that you do when you're in that you don't have to do when you're out. And it was pretty rocky there for a little while. And, you know, I didn't suffer from PTSD or anything like that, but I did suffer from being institutionalized and suddenly not being and not right. having, and I was now responsible for it. So I really did have to go all in and try and find myself. And again, you don't realize that these things are happening to you while they're happening to you. And it's not until you're on the other side of it that you get a little bit of clarity about it. And as I look back at it now, I think, wow, man, that was a, that was a really pretty rough time in my life. And I was pretty vulnerable right. in a lot of those, those circumstances. But it is what it is. You, you, just, you just work through it at the time, especially when you don't realize what you're working through. Um, and I'll come out on the other side and, and I'm, a, I'm a stronger person for it. Rob, I want to, I mean, that's the challenge that anybody I think could probably um, try to comprehend and you've been through it, so you know. I'll tell you a little bit of mine uh, since we're talking about that. I think for me, the first time I went all in was when I lost my mum. And when I lost my mum, it was, my mother was, she was like 42 and I've said this on a previous episode, losing my mum was massive, as, as I guess it would be for most most people. And I, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're blessed because you still have your mum with you uh, on, on, on this green earth. Uh, and what a great part of the earth to be in, in Australia. So, uh, yeah, I lost my mum when she was 43. And it was a really difficult time. And losing her kind of put me in a position where, you know, there were three men in a house, myself and my brother. And... That was a difficult time. You know, we weren't sufficiently well-versed in the running of a household. It had all been done for us. We had the matter of bringing in an income, which my mother was doing uh, alongside my dad, and I had to then pick that up. And I think that was the first time when I realized that if I don't start picking up some household responsibilities, if I don't play a a better big brother and like a, a junior father figure, and if I don't go and earn some money, forget about the fact that I was at high school and I was going to get into college. If I don't do those four things now, then we are in for a really shaky ride and it could damage permanently the two other individuals in that house, emotionally, psychologically, whatever. And I think that was the first time when I said, I've got to go all in. What did all, what did go all in for me? It meant that I didn't have any qualifications when I was 14 or 15, I had to go get a news news agent's job, any other kind of job I did just to start bringing in money just to support my dad, you know, who was on pennies. The guy was on pennies. So I took a job, had to study, learn how to cook. I went all in and figured out how to cook. I read books. There was no internet in those days. So I was reading books. I was asking family members. My family are excellent, excellent people. They were really kind. They taught me. And then it was just going all in, experimenting. I even made omelette one day when I was eating eggs in those days. And I made omelette. Get this, get this. I thought I could make omelette. And I had milk. And I had – Indians put milk in omelette, by the way. It's, it's an Indian thing. You put milk, 
onions and whatever. And, and, and anyway, so I had the milk, I had the onions. I just didn't happen to have the eggs. I thought, who cares? I got the eggs. I got the other two things. I even remember making my first omelet, which my mom used to make for us, pouring oil in the frying pan and then just putting milk and onions, throwing it in there uh -huh. and thinking that I'll make an omelet. Who cares about the eggs? <laughs> yeah, it's like blew up. Uh, yeah. And I remember just learning silly little lessons like that that taught me that, you know, it's okay to fail because the next time I never made that mistake, I realized my mistake straight away. So is, is there something to be said about how we can stop fear getting in the way of going all in, even though we know that going all in could mean a whole ton of fear, whether it's in your career, whether it's in the house, whether it's finding, you know, taking, taking the plunge and marrying the person of your dreams and you've got a whole bunch of worries there. Uh, is, what can we do about fear? Well, the, the first thing I would say is that it's not really appropriate to go all in on everything all the time in your life. You, right. you, you're only going to do that when it really matters and when it really counts. And sometimes you don't realize that you're actually doing it. Like in your circumstance you're describing there, there was, wasn't a conscious moment where you said, oh, well, I've got to go all in and just keep doing this. You, you just realized, you just, you just unconsciously realized that you had to actually help and you had to go and do whatever you had to do to actually mm -hmm. help. And whatever obstacle came up in front of you, it wasn't really an obstacle. It was just a challenge. The one right. thing I'd say about failure is that people are worried about failing a lot of the time because they don't think they're good enough to do something and then they fail at it and then they're like, oh, see, I knew I wasn't good enough. And it's a right. self-esteem issue. So if you put your self-esteem and your ego aside for a second, the chances of you having a go of something like that are much, much higher. But I think... Personally, I think, and in my experience, because I work in this kind of this motivation space, if you like, a lot of people are worried about failing because they're worried about what other people are going to say about them. So here's what I'd say to that. Fail fast. Yeah. Have a go at stuff. And when you fail fast, all the people around you will say to you, see, I knew it. I knew it. And they give you a hard time. And if you're any sort of person, if you've got any sort of character about you, you'll get rid of that. That that thinking and that headspace is now gone. And now you can go, all right, well, watch this. Yeah, sure, I had to go at it. I didn't do so well. I failed. And then look inside yourself and fight really hard. Fight like you've never fought before. Fight like it, like your life depends on it. And go all in on it. And when you go all in on it, it means you're trying as hard as you can. You're doing your very best and you're, when you do that, you live up to your potential. And when you live up to the potential that you have, not in the future, but right now, because you're all mm -hmm. in on it right now, you give back to the world because you're giving your very best to the world. And when you give your best to the world, I think personally, you make it just a little bit better incrementally every time that you do that. And that's why I think the go all in philosophy is such an important thing. Because if you go all in on stuff, it means you're living up to your potential and you're making the world a better place by doing that. So it's really, really important that you do that. And along the way, you're going to fail. You're going to have challenges. But there's no way in life that you're ever going to learn how to do something unless you fail and unless you have those challenges. So if you can put your ego aside and not worry about failing and just have the go, and if you fail, just kind of shrug your shoulders, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go again. And then if you can put that fear of what other people are thinking or saying about you aside, I think you give yourself a better opportunity to succeed in life and the things that you want, whether that's finances, whether that's business or relationship or something else. Let me chip in there for a second um, and, and, and throw, throw a spanner in the works. So ego and <clears throat> fear of failure. What if the fear of failure has a material impact that, that is associated with it. So, for example, let's say that you are somebody, you're in your prime, you're in your 30s and 40s, which is your new prime these days, of course, and you feel that you need a change of career, you feel you want to move away from a situation, or you feel you want to come out of a relationship, maybe a, a long-term relationship, but to do so would mean to jeopardize the income that's coming in that would sustain your family, for example, mm -hmm. or splitting up with somebody would mean the intense, uh, intense uh, reputational damage that may fall, follow with it. What thoughts can you share that could help somebody to 
kind of contend with a situation like that and still do that? Is it that, for example, it needs to be done, go all in, whole hog? Could, are there stages of going all in? Could it be that we're going all in by steps? We're not going all in at once. We're going all in over a period of time, maybe. What's your thoughts, buddy? It's a really good question. And it's, it's a very, very important one because on a daily basis, you're faced with literally thousands of decisions. You've heard this before and scientists have proved it, that, um, you know, you, you most of the decisions that you make throughout the day are unconscious. You know, I went and made a cup of tea and I'm sitting here drinking a cup of tea talking to you, but I didn't really think about doing that. It's just something that I went through because it's the time of the day that I do that and I'm going to do something social and talk to somebody. So I want to have a drink with me. That's unconscious. When it comes time for you to make a conscious decision about something, if you've got something that you can rest on and something that you can use as a tool to help you make those decisions and Mm -hmm. filter whether this is going to work for you or it won't, that will help you make better decisions. And what I do is I lean on what I call my core values. And core values are the things in your life. They're the guiding principles that help guide your belief system. And my life as an entrepreneur, as you alluded into in the introduction, I've got, I'm faced with a lot of different decisions all the time. And people come to me all the time with different opportunities and clients want to become JV partners and all that sort of stuff. And In my life, I've started a lot of things and I've also not completed the same amount of things as well. You know, if I stuck with stuff a little bit longer, then I would be 10 times more successful than I am. And it wasn't until somebody taught me about core values that I really understood why all of those things fell by the wayside. And it's because it didn't align to what my belief system was and what my core values were. So here's the crux of it. If you're faced with a really big decision in your life, I would stop for a minute and work out if it aligns with my core values or not. And I'll give you some context here because my core values are really, really simple to understand. They're easy to remember. So I don't have to really think about it. And it helps me with my decision-making process really quickly. So the first, I've got three core values. And again, it's an oversimplification, but it works every single time for me. I love it. No, go ahead. Yeah, and I I think people need to develop their own version of these things in order to help them with decision-making processes so things don't seem so insurmountable all the time. So my core values, the the first one is to always tell the truth and to be honest, and that's with other people when I'm dealing with them and then with myself. The second one is to help others because I think it's really, really important in this world that you help other people. And the third one is to do the right thing. So if I give you some more context in and around that, I say to myself, a property deal came across my desk um, just a day or two ago, and I was looking at this property deal. And so you, you can be sidetracked by something like that really quickly and really fast. And property requires a lot of analysis and a lot of decisions about stuff. And it's a little bit kind of dry and boring as well. Some people love yeah. property, but it's just really about numbers. So the context of my decision-making process in and around that is, the first core value that I have is, is honesty. Am I being honest with other people in and around this? Well, it's not really about other people. So am I being honest with myself? Right. Now I've got to ask right. myself a series of questions. Does this property meet my needs from an investment strategy? Does it fit into the portfolio? Does it yield the return that I want it to return? Does it have a risk management profile that is sensible to me? And if I can't answer a definitive yes to all of those things, then I'm not really being honest with myself. No, it doesn't have the risk profile. No, it doesn't have the return. And if the worst case scenario happened, can I really afford it? Well, yeah, if, I, if I'm prepared to take the commercial risk and do that, but am I comfortable in doing those things? Because I'm ticking no to all the boxes before it. So it's a no. So now I've got a big fat no to the first core value that I've right. gone So I don't waste any more time seeing if this is going to help some other people because I know property helps other people because they can live in it, they can rent it. And it definitely, am I doing the right thing by doing that? No, I'm not. Straight away, I'm not. I'm not doing the right thing by my family. So using core values to help you with the decision-making process will help you to decide whether or not you want to go all in on something. Love it. Love that. Absolutely love that. So folks, there's a takeaway. I'll pin that in the comments here, folks. And by the way, I want to hear from people here. Let's get, Rob and I, let's get some views here. Um, Penelope said something so, so obvious and yet so true. So, so true. Penelope, thank you so much. 
Penelope says, mothers can relate to going all in at all times. They have no choice. When you become a mother and you have somebody who is entirely dependent upon you, you have no choice but to go all in. You've got to go all in. There's no choice. It becomes something that you, it's just instinctual. You do it. And I think that's that's a powerful thing. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about situations where you are pushed to the wire. And folks, I want you to click in here if you're experiencing this. Have you experienced in your, a time in your life where you didn't actually choose to go all in, but life forced you to go all in? Kind of like my situation with my mom, Rob, your, like your situation. You were forced to go all in. You were out of the military. There wasn't a question at the time of going back. So you had no choice but to create something outside. So folks, click in and share your views on when you've had to go all in. But let's touch on that, Rob. Let's touch about, let's talk about situations where, for example, your, you know, the hand is forced, your hand is forced. You've got to go and do something. Um, you haven't had a chance to process whether that your values are aligned to that situation, but you just got to react, right? Um, you're, you're made jobless. You've got people depending upon you. You've got to go and get anything that you can. It may not align with your values, but you've got to do it. You know, there are people out here who have been on the receiving end of, you know, the loss of a loved one. So many significant things in life. And I know people, and I'm not going to name names, people who've had, unfortunately, a life of crime and they've ended up being in prison. And, you know, it was done. But what they did, how they handled it, that became a go all in choice. Let's talk about that for a minute. How can we help people? What advice can we give to people who are forced to go all in in a situation? They can't necessarily check if something aligns with their values and they've got to react very quickly. Well, the parent example is a, is a really good one of something happening slowly over time, especially if it's your first kid. I, I like that as well. And I, and I would echo that as well. I've got three children, so I know exactly what it feels like to go all in with your children there. Uh, and that's, that's definitely something that you have to do. Crying babies in the middle of the night are hard work, but you've got no choice to other than to go and pick that beautiful little baby up and give it a feed and then change a nappy and put it back in. You go back to bed and then five minutes later, you're up again, doing it all again. And that's just, just necessary. That's, and I I think as humans and as people, we just know that we have to do that. That is what it is. It sucks. It definitely sucks. But look to your point in and around an emergency situation or a really unforeseen accident or problem or something happens in your life like that. Often you're very, you're forced to go and do something else. You're forced to take that job that you don't like. And and I would say, you know, if I could go back in time and spend five minutes with myself, what would I say to myself? And I, I always say that stick with stuff a little bit longer, just stick with it. So even though you might've been forced into a situation or a circumstance that's beyond your control, if you've got the metal within you and most people do most people can dig themselves out of that hole and they just keep pushing forward and forging forward and they've got the emotional muscle to do that but then you find yourself in a circumstance more often than not and i i understand and i've been there myself where you're in a place where you don't want to be i would say just stick with it just hold on life's not that bad you know what when somebody's shooting at at you and you're trying to dig a hole with your eyelids because life is pretty scary and somebody's trying to kill you that's when you've got really, really serious problems. If you wake up in the morning and your feet are pointing at the ground and nobody's shooting at you or trying to kill you, well, it's not, it's not too bad. You know, there's all those quotes that fly around on Facebook and Instagram. It says, if you've got a family and you've got fresh water and you've got food and money in your pocket, you're richer than you think. And it's true. It really is true. It's a matter right. of perspective, just a matter so. of perspective. Yeah, absolutely love that. And um, here's another quote. Sanj, Sanj just clicked in. Sanj Ragani. Sanj, thanks for being with us. You always contribute value. Sanj says, don't limit your challenges. Challenge your limits. Love that. Don't limit your challenges. Beautiful. Challenge your limits. Jerry Dunn. Sanj Golden, thanks for sharing that. I want to share something from the, which I think is pertinent from one of the, one of the or possibly the oldest uh, literature on military uh, strategy, military and spiritual strategy based on um, a battle that took place. And that is the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita, one of the oldest books known to mankind over five and a half thousand years ago, was captured in written form uh, and spoken by Krishna to Arjuna. The whole thing takes place on a battlefield. So the divine is speaking to the mere mortal. And, you know, in that, there's a beautiful verse that speaks to what you've just said. Krishna says, 
Um, let me let me see if I can remember my Sanskrit. I got to dust it off. Matras parsastu konteya tamstitik sasvatu bharata agama piyahino nityas tamstitik sasva bharata. That's roughly what it is. Probably messed it up. Those four lines. It says one needs to learn to just like the just like the summer and winter seasons come and go. So happiness and distress, pain and pleasure will come and they'll go. They only last for a season and they go. One needs to learn to endure. There's this word, titiksha in Sanskrit. Titiksha means to endure under great duress, under great stress. You have to, you may be bent, pushed down and that glass ceiling is pushing down on you, but you have to endure. And that word, stams titiksha, you have to endure. And Krishna says, you will pass through that. You will rise through that. And we obviously see Robert Brass in front of us, the living example of a man who's been through wars, literally, and who's with us here in the comfort of his beautiful Seaview apartment somewhere in Sydney. Not a bad well, I, I can, I, Let me give you a modern-day military example of that. I, I like the military analogies for obvious reasons, right? And um, in the military, you, you get put on a lot of courses, a lot of courses, and some seem like administrative courses that, you know, the necessary skills that you have to acquire in order to do your job. Um, but then there's some things that are really, really exciting, like a, a parachute course or a military free fall course, or you might want to be in special forces. So you have to go to, to a selection course and you've got to pass barrier tests. And, and these things are designed right. as filters. They're designed to filter the people out that have got the right headspace and they're the right, body type because you need to be of certain strength and endurance to be able to do certain activities, particularly in the infantry, because it's very hard work, right? Um, you know, you can't, you can't be a, a, a 50 kilo, five foot five person, man or woman, and be expected to walk around with a pack that weighs 70 or 80 kilos for 40 or 50 kilometers. You just physically, it's not possible. And then to pick up somebody a little bit bigger like me, that's, you know, 9,500 kilos and carry all my equipment across the battlefield if I've been hit, that's just not possible for a smaller person. So there's a lot of testing and barrier testing that you go through, you go through in right. the process of doing the course, and it gets you there. And eventually I've arrived on many of these courses, and when you get there, you're all excited by it, and then all of a sudden it becomes very, very hard. It's really, really hard. And you, you look at yourself and you go, man, I never, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. This right. actually really sucks. And it really sucks. I remember when I was in the Navy um, many moons ago and I was on my ship's divers course. And every warship has a, a team of ship's divers who are required to do husbandry on the ships. And sometimes you come alongside and you need to fit um, grates and you need to do husbandry on the bottom of the ship. You need to clean the prop. There's work that needs to be done under the water. And the ship's divers are the uh, people that jump in and do that. And sometimes it's in the tropics. Most of the time it is. It's pretty cool. But sometimes it's in really dirty places and it's a bit ordinary. And you really have to learn to deal with cold water. And you suffer. There's no other way to say it. You suffer in the cold water and I can remember being on my course. It's a three-week course. It's not very long in the scheme of things. But about a week into it, you start your night diving sequences and they teach you to scuba dive at nighttime and they teach you to do husbandry on warships at nighttime. And you're driving around in Sydney Harbour at wintertime when it must be probably about one or two degrees Celsius. And the water is about 14 or 15 degrees. So it's warmer in the water than it is out. But your body temperature gets cold really, really quickly totally. when you're in the water right. like that wetsuit or not and you would spend in and out of the water 13 or 14 hours a day in and out of the water that cold water like that it's raining it's windy it's awful on sydney harbour you see these beautiful sunny pictures of bridges and opera houses and yeah it's like that but when you got to get in the water it's freaking cold it's, it's a and, different thing yeah yeah and and you really suffer through that and you know you don't struggle it's suffering. It's painful. They get you out of the water, get you dry, give you a hot cup of coffee or a hot chocolate. They, they drive in, the right? boat halfway up. Yeah, they drive the boat halfway up the harbour thinking, you know, teaching you that, hey, we're going back now. And then they, they stop the boat and they throw all your wetsuits in the water and tell you to get in the water and get dressed again. And then you've got right. another five or six hours worth of swimming to do or something. It's That's just nuts. ridiculous, right? Yeah, and they do that to try and break you and they want certain sorts of people on the course. They want certain sort of sorts of people that qualify and they're using it as a filtering mechanism 
to make you a, a better diver that's more skilled to actually deliver the work that needs to be done. But you know what? On the other side of all of that suffering and that heartache and, you know, that sucks and it sucks badly is something pretty cool. It's a qualification that you get and it's, it's a badge of honour that you get to wear. And I can remember being in the tropics where everybody was was dressed and get, and the ship comes alongside and they've got to go and empty all the bins and do all of the menial ordinary tasks that you have to do. And I'd be right. walking around in a pair of shorts and swimming in the harbours of the world and watching everybody else do the work. And, and my salvation at that particular time was, oh my God, thank God I don't have to empty the bins. It's 45 degrees outside and it just... Suffering on the other side of suffering is salvation. Every let's, single time. Let's, let, I love that. I love that. Rob, thanks for those contributions. I want to. I want to. I want to chip in with a few comments that have been coming in, and I want to take that. Com- I want to take that comment. Uh, Arthur, Arthur's with me, a good friend of mine. Arthur Bucast, love it that you've joined. Hope you and tomorrow are enjoying. Arthur says, "How about leaving your oldest daughter in a country and not being able to bring her over and away from violence in that country, and that." harrowing thought that you've left your daughter in a country where there's a lot of violence and you can't just bring her back you can't repatriate her how hard and difficult must that be for a parent shit those clicked in saying as a working mom with a big family and health issues i have to go all in i have to thinking positive and self-motivation is very important got to keep going and smiling part of that seraphina thank you so much for joining in let's just get one thing clear the world is not going to stay there and pat you on the fucking back. The world is not going to pat you on the back. People aren't going to come and tap you on your shoulder and say, hey, Rob, hey, Prash, hey, Shittle, hey, Arthur, you're doing a great job. Let's come and give you a hand. That's not going to happen. Shittle, you've got a really powerful point here. Don't wait for somebody to motivate you. Don't wait for somebody to tell you to go in. Go all in without somebody having to tell you. Take that by the horns. Take the ownership and just dive in. Literally dive in into the situation and know that on the other side of that is a stronger, more resilient you. And here, here's a fact, Rob, as parents or anybody who has dependence of any kind, or, you know, you got to, you know, you're, you know, you don't have kids, you're in a relationship with somebody, that other person is relying on you to get your shit together. That other person is relying on you to hold your shit together. If you care about somebody, you want to hold your shit together. So if you can't use that to motivate yourself, what else can you do? You've got to use the fact that other people are relying on you and you yourself are relying on you to go all in. Let that be motivation to push you beyond the edge. If you're on the edge, if you're not sure whether you should do something and if something is holding you back, let that simple understanding compel you and drive you forward. And if you hold on to that along with the values that you talked about, your core values, then you have a powerful way to lead yourself forward. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. And, and many times in life you find yourself where you feel out of kilter and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And I really can't offer too many comments about leaving a kid in another country when you've got no choice. That's scary stuff. And I'm not sure how I would handle it, but I'm certain that that person has done whatever they've had to do to make that a better circumstance and a better situation. And they've had to go all in. They've got no choice. They've kind of been backed into a corner to be able to mm-hmm. do that and to have to do that. But I, I would, I would say that if you find yourself in a situation where things are not feeling right and things are not going well in your life to stop what you're doing, just, just for five or 10 minutes and everybody has five or 10 minutes, there's no excuses and ask yourself yeah. if it aligns with core values. And if it does align with your core values and you are, for me, it's, it's really easy for me. It's about doing the right thing, being honest and helping others. And if one of those three things is not quite right, whether that's right. me doing that or somebody doing that to me, then I know why I'm feeling like that. And I know that I can take back control of the situation because if somebody's, if, if I talk about honesty and telling the truth, if I'm doing the right thing, but I feel like somebody's not doing the right thing to me, then I've got a really quick and fast solution that I can deal with there. You can deal that with guy's not being straight with me. It's bullshit. I can solve that problem. I can make that happen and I know how to solve that problem. And I always come back to those core values in my life and I rest on those. And that works really, really well for me. That's been a, a sensible tool that I've developed for myself over years and years, I guess, of maybe not suffering, but struggling yeah. with stuff 
as well. And I haven't been in a circumstance outside of the military where I've really suffered or been forced to suffer in an, in an environmental circumstance where it's really cold or you're hungry or you're wet or you're thirsty or something like that. But certainly I know what it feels like to struggle with finances, with family, with relationships. I definitely know what that feels like as well. And everybody does. Yeah, everybody's got that. And San just chipped in here. Is life not about going all in? Surely whatever we do requires an all-in attitude, whether it's in school, work, or business. Absolutely, Stangs. People can embrace that. Going all-in isn't just an amazing movement that Robert Bruss has started off in Australia, which is doing really well and helping so many people out there. But going all-in is... Someone amazing. asked me the other day, hey, someone, someone asked me, hey, Robert, are, are you all-in on your relationship at the moment? You've been in a long-term relationship. You've been with that girl for like 13 or 14 years, whatever it is. And I'm like, Maybe I'm I'm always all in, but I've I've you know relationships have ups and downs, and my relationship's not perfect by any stretch, and and we have our our challenges and our issues as well. And sure. you gotta you gotta ask yourself, you know, do you have to be all in in washing the dishes, or mowing the lawn, or folding the washing? Do you have to be all in on that stuff? Well, maybe if your relationship's not going so well. And you get the housework done in the background and you do the right thing and you help out around the house a little bit more. Maybe that's just a, like a little incremental step towards improving a relationship or mending, mending something that went wrong after an argument or something like that. But look, you don't have to be all in on washing the dishes or mowing the lawn. Nothing happens if you don't do that or you do it in the morning. It's no big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. But life is about going all in and it's yeah. about having the right attitude and, and giving your best. And when you give your best, I just keep coming back to saying it, when you give your best, you live up to your potential. And when you live up to your potential, you make the world a better place because you're giving your very best to the world. Absolutely. I think living up to your potential is such a key part of that. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. Reed's chipped in here. Reed, what's up? What's up? She says, core values, important. I also think there are times in life as we progress, grow and transform that we need to evaluate I would say reevaluate whether or not they still serve us. And I think that's Reed's point. You have to reevaluate whether certain values are serving you. I think being open to self-reflection is extremely important. Mikey's joining. Raise a mic. What's up? Chicago, Chicago in the house. Let me just say this. Reed's, Reed's brought an important point here. So two things here, two additional lessons. When you want to go all in and you're trying to go all in, reevaluate the values that you have. Perhaps the values that you had, the younger you, may not have the same values that you have now. And that's okay. It's okay to not have the same values. I think it's, it's, it's less okay to just go with what you got and assume that that's going to serve you. I think a regular check-in or a periodic check-in to know that the values you have are serving you are right. I'm going to give you an example. I know somebody who has for many years been a, who's been a, um, a polygamist. So he's had several uh, partners at the same time. And that's great. Yeah. I mean, he had a great time. It's great for him, I mean. Let me be careful with my words. He had a great time, and it, it was a wonderful period in his life for him and for them, the consenting adults with whom he was in. At some point in his time, life, about three years ago, actually, he met somebody who he felt was the right person for him because he had outgrown the people he was with. Guess what? For him to go all in, because it came to marriage, I think they courted for about a year, and um, it, you know, it was crunch time. And he had to reevaluate that core value and say, you know, is part of being a free lover part of my value set anymore? Is being a lover to many part of that? Or do I need to embrace monogamy as a part of my future life to be that person? So sometimes you may have to sacrifice a value or reevaluate a value that you have to in proportion to the way you're evolving as a human being. And let's segue from that into the people that you're around. Let's talk about how people around you may be stopping you from going all in, either because of their negative self-talk, uh, Rhonda, we've talked about this on this show previously, negative self-talk from inside and naysayers from outside. These are two other enemies that we have. Any quick tips on how to deal with those, Rob? I'm a little bit more of a simple person, actually. I don't have a lot of self-talk going on inside of my head. Um, I, I have a... My decision-making process is pretty straightforward. I know what needs to be done and I go and spell it out. 
and okay. I document what needs to be done and I make a plan to go and do that. That's worked really well for me in my life. I, I can't really remember a time recently. I, I probably have, but I can't remember one recently or an example where I've said to myself, oh, you're not good enough to do that or you can't do that or what do you think you're doing doing that? I, I just sort of make a decision about what it is that I want to do, whatever that might be, and right. I go and do it and I make that happen. And, of course, along the way and along the path of doing things, you start to feel those feelings about whether or not you're worthy, whether or not you should be doing those things. And I, I guess my self-talk is not so much in my head, but it's how I feel about things, which I, I guess is an easier thing to deal with because if it doesn't feel so great, you just move away from it and go somewhere where it feels a little bit better. Uh, and I sort of move away from things that don't feel good like everybody and just gravitate towards the things that do feel better like that. If you are, you know, tips tips for going all in and not feeling um, feeling so great about it. Um, a friend of mine, Lee, she said um, her mum gave her a good bit of advice. And I always remember it. And it's a really, really good bit of advice. And she said, do it afraid. Do it anyway. And if you're not feeling good about it, you're not worried about it, it's not feeling so great, do it anyway. Do it afraid. And when you do it afraid, there's a little bit of suffering there's a little bit of trepidation a little bit of fear there but on the other side of that that's where salvation and that's happiness salvation is. and that's really really exciting mm. all right i like that i like that i'll take that i think not everybody listening to this has as simple an internal decision making process as you as in me <laughs> <laughs> i i'm definitely not as simple as that um and i wish Too i would much self-talk like, man it'll it'll be the downfall of, of you don't worry man. about it just make a decision and do it all right Friggin' make a decision and do it. Sarah Hart's clicked in. Sarah, our fellow good friend, she says, realize nothing will ever be perfect, but work towards closing the gap between when we are off and where we are on. Beautiful advice from JTA herself, The Journey to Authenticity. Sarah Hart and her podcast, go check it out. Do a shout out. Reed's clicked in as well. Now, Reed's got a challenge on her hands because she's not only working in her own life, but she's having to teach other men to go all in in their lives men with difficulties reed is uh, of course as some of you may know uh the successful host of break up to a breakthrough uh, an excellent podcast show especially for men to help bring out the best in themselves after a difficult time in their lives and i think a lot of people can relate to that so bringing it back to this point yes we can deal with our mind by making decisions that are sometimes hard to make and make them decisively even if we're faced with adversity, we'll use our values, our core values, we'll reevaluate our core values, we'll look at our personal circumstances and decide whether going all in means going all in at once or whether it means going all in in stages. That's great. Now let's talk about the naysayers for a second and the do-gooders. Let's talk about the people who might be holding us back because they're worried for you, right? The, per- the person who's saying, no, Rob, how can you go into that career over there? That's, that's, just, that's, that's just not for you. You, you. you shouldn't be doing that. Or, Rob, no, if you do that, I'm going to leave you because there's no way I'm going to follow you here. There are people who those people. What can we do? Well, look, I, I, I think that um, there's two types, actually, and there's one that you didn't say. There's naysayers and there's haters. And I right. think the parents on this, uh, on this Facebook Live and on this call that are listening in would agree with me that when somebody says to you that, hey, you – you shouldn't do that or you can't do that or you shouldn't be doing that. I think what they're really saying is that they can't do that. They shouldn't do that and they shouldn't be doing that. I think it's the people, when people lay their own self-belief and their own expectation on another, that is mm-hmm. that is something really negative. And I think you need to be careful of doing that in your life to other people as well. You know, and, and sometimes naysayers, naysayers are usually the people that are closest to you. They know you. Hey, Prash, what are you doing that for, mate? You know, right. you, you, why don't you just stick to your, your day job and just concentrate on that, man, because, you know, that pays the bills and that does this and that does that. And what they're really saying to you is that they're not willing to take a risk. They're not really to, willing to put themselves out there and to do that. And naysayers, I think, can be the most damaging of all because they're usually your friends and your family and your loved ones and the people that are closest to you. So you've got to be really careful with naysayers and make right. sure that, you take on board what they're saying, you listen to it, but you also look at the point of view that they're giving it to you from because usually nine times out of 10, they're telling you you can't do something because they can't do it themselves. And 
one way to deal with it is just to acknowledge it. Yeah, sure, you're right. I probably shouldn't do that. And then they go away because their opinions are validated and then just go and do what you're going to do anyway. A man's going to do what a man's going to do, right? It doesn't matter what anybody says. The other one that, uh, that, that happens as well in life is there's people that hate on you. There's a lot of haters in the world. There's a lot of keyboard warriors out there. And I think people get more. Love that. Yeah, people, you know, every now and then I see somebody on my Facebook are like, bye-bye Facebook, I'm leaving. I'm, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And it's like, my God, you're like having a tantrum and throwing your toys about somebody saying something on Facebook. People are allowed to have opinions. People are allowed to say stuff. People are allowed to be offensive and all the political correctness in the world is not going to stop them from hating on you if they're going to hate on you anyway. And, and I think it's really, really important that um, people are allowed to voice their opinions, but yeah. it's how you let those opinions affect you. That's what matters. And naysayers are pretty dangerous because they're friends, family, and loved ones. And I'd be very, very careful of that. Haters, I just acknowledge that. I love the haters. Bring it, bring it. Because haters make me improve. Oh, that's really, that's terrible, Rob. What you said on that podcast was terrible. Right. What you said on that show was terrible. And people saying things that I did wrong, it's an opportunity for me to improve. It's an opportunity. But here's right. the thing. Yeah. Haters, haters say stuff behind a keyboard in a nanosecond of thought and they're typing away on their keyboard or on their phone. And it only takes them a second to do that. But in reality, haters don't produce anything. They don't, they don't create anything. They're not the creators of the world. They're the critical critics of the world and naysayers likewise naysayers rarely produce anything and let's just say let's let's not rule out the fact that we do need haters and naysayers around because we do need critics we need critics absolutely we need people who are going to challenge our metal who are going to challenge our will right without that we'll get complacent yeah totally 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 agree with that and what you do with it is really totally up to you. But I would take the, the haters and, and that stuff and use that as fuel. And you need to define and, and work out in your life whether or not somebody's hating on you or they're a naysayer. And if they're a naysayer, just be careful because that's more dangerous than the haters that are around you because they love you, they care about you, and they're saying these things from a place of love. And they're not saying it from a place of, oh, you're an idiot. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like your opinion. My opinion's more important than yours. Or oh, whatever, man. You know, that's your opinion. You're allowed to have that. That's important that we have a, a robust debate in the world. Just don't be a jerk about it in the process of hating on somebody. I love it. Thank you, Rob. There's some wise, wise words here. I thought of the analogy, and um, I think really we need to be a little bit like a missile, um, but a missile that's been prepped first you know like before a shuttle launches or before they launch a missile and obviously i'm speaking to somebody who's probably much more familiar with this territory than i am but before you launch a missile a number of especially it's a bit say significant missile any kind of projectile has a number of checks that are done before that missile is launched and i think that analogy can be used here with your military background that if you're going to go all in first of all decide that you want to launch that missile when you've decided you want to launch that missile, do your checks. Make sure that you're not going to be damaging nobody around you. If there are people preventing you from doing so, address those people, the naysayers, the haters, or ignore them, right? Align with the values. That is, the values that other people and the circumstances around you in, this, in, in, in the analogy of the missile. You've got a missile to be launched. You want to do all your checks with the people around you. So check in with yourself. Are you aligned with your values? And when you are, and you're ready to pull that trigger and launch that missile, go all in, check the fuel. Are you going to go on a rocket fuel type basis or are you going to go on a gradual fuel basis? Decide what kind of go all in is to be applied. As you said earlier in this interview, going all in full steam in all situations is not necessarily the right way. But choosing how you go all in, when you go all in, and how fast you go all in, these three hold the key to bringing more success, I think, in the way we do things. And you launch your missile accordingly. Rob, anything else to add here, brother? I, I, love, I love the missile analogy, man. That's, that's really, really true. I would add to it just a, a small bit as well. I've been lucky enough to actually have six war shots under my belt. Um, I've been involved in six missile firings in, in the real world on guided missile frigates. So firing a standard, an S, what's called an SM-1 missile, um, it's an anti-aircraft missile. And you, you said all of the things correctly there. We train and train and train for air defense because that's the role of a guided missile f- 
frigate is to stop enemy aircraft getting at an aircraft carrier typically or getting at the refueling ships or the other assets that we're protecting and we're guarding. So a guided missile frigate practices a lot with different air forces around the world and airstrikes coming at you. And these things come at you really, really quickly and it happens quickly. And often when you sit there at a radar screen and, and you're watching that happen and, you, and you're fighting the warship, so to speak, and you're fighting the sensors of the warship and you're utilizing the weapons to protect and to do its job, it happens really, really quickly. And I can remember in training for, for quite some time wondering if this was all for nothing and wondering if it was any good. And when it came time to do some live fire exercises and get a couple of shots off, it wasn't all for nothing. All the preparation that we'd done was actually for something and it for did something. work really well. It worked. Yeah. And the part that I would, the part that I would add um, to what your sentiments were about making sure you've got a plan and make sure you're guiding yourself correctly is make sure you've got a team around you because firing a missile, believe it or not, is not a one man job. There's not one man with his finger on the button or a finger on the trigger. It requires a team of people. And if I explain to you in an operations room of a guided missile frigate, there's, there's a track supervisor, there's an air warfare um, officer there, there's an air picture supervisor, there's the electronic warfare guys, there's the captain, yeah, there's the ops room supervisor, and there's three people on a, on a console. So there's eight people involved in firing one missile at one pilot screaming in at you at you know, the speed of sound. So if you've got a team around yourself, you've got a team of people that are around you you're more likely to be to be successful and to succeed so i would say surround yourself with people like you with other people that have got the same philosophy of going all in on things and being successful in things and the more you surround yourself with like-minded people the more chance you give yourself of success in whatever that might be in your life love it rob so beautifully put and so appropriately said folks we are doing our best through these shows to give you the opportunity to be surrounded by people. We're bringing good people together. I know for a fact that everybody who joins these calls has a heart and a mind and an intellect, and they want to help one another. And this is the beauty of these sorts of tribes and gatherings. I'm honored to say that we have that. So join us. We have our own tribes, and you're always welcome to hop on board we have the mantra therapy group. We have the urban spirituality group that we've now set up and that will be growing. Join us. And of course, there's Go All In. So you're absolutely welcome to join us on the Go All In group. Go find us, hop on board, join the dialogue, start surrounding yourself by a tribe of people, whether it's in London, whether it's in Australia, whether it's internationally, as we're bringing together, Rob, you and I, across, across the continents, you and I are doing this and creating powerful damage we're creating weapons of mass information no weapons <laughs> of destruction here this is weapons of mass empowerment weapons of mass information that we can use weapons of wisdom let me call it that information is one thing but wisdom wisdom the ability to apply that information that's golden and that is what we're doing rob you've shared your wisdom thank you for being a gentleman as always well you're not always but you are here so i love that <laughs> <laughs> It's great to have Thank you. you. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure to come on and, um, and to share it with you. And if anyone wants to reach out, please do so. You can just find us on Facebook. It's pretty easy. Just find such a hashtag and you'll see it. Um, it's not an issue. And I'd love to connect with you. And I'd love to see you inside the Goaling group as well. Rob, raise your chest up a little bit and let everybody see that amazing logo. There you go, folks. Go all in. Go all in right there. Join Rob and I. We'll be on the Go All In tribe. And we'll be welcoming new members coming along here and sharing and caring as we go on this journey. And folks, if you're in London, I am cordially inviting all of you on Sunday, the 12th of August, to join us for our Mantra Therapy Outdoor Summer Love Jam, where you will 100% be surrounded by an awesome tribe of people coming together for spiritual wisdom, joy, togetherness, and so much more. So Sunday, 12th of August, check it out. And... Last but not least, we have Tuscany. You're welcome to join us for one of our retreats. Tuscany is the next one. We're going in October. You can go all in and leave your work life behind for four days, come back refreshed, and go and crush it back at home. That's it from us. Thank you. Forgive any mistakes or any technology issues. We're just authentic people speaking from the heart and sometimes shooting from the hip. But that's all good. Rob, thank you so much. Peace out to you. Blessings for the day, folks at home and on the ether. Thank you so much for tuning in. Share the world, share the word, share the love, and share this message out to people. God knows we need it. Stay close, stay true, 
be yourself. Namaste. Crash out. See ya. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire, and empower you in your spiritual and personal journeys in life. As always, if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, share it with those who you care about, and take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our events, workshops, or retreats. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.